Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Labelled Podcast. I'm, of course, never on my own. I'm not on my own. It would be very boring if I was on my own. I'm here and joined by my lovely co-host, Alice. Hello, Alice. Hi, Lucy. How are you? It would be... I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Um, It would be a very different podcast I have heard the odd podcast that's just a single person sort of screaming into the ether but yeah. it's not not quite the same angry it's man with nice. a microphone kind of yeah. vibe very nice to be here podcasting by your side no thank you it's very nice how are you there. love I'm all right yeah I'm not too bad thank you I'm glad it is the end of the week let's put it like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah how yeah, are you? I, yeah, fine. Good. Fine. Nothing. Nothing exciting to report. So this bit of the podcast is very boring. If you want to skip like fifteen seconds ahead, <laughs> we're, we're fine. Uh, crack on. Uh, basically, <laughs> is basically what we're saying. Um, but if you are skipping, stop skipping now because yeah. I'm about to introduce our guest this week, and they they, unlike Lucy and I, have some interesting things to say. <laughs> Um, Our guest this week is Ian, who uh, is very uh, unusually on dry land at the moment. Uh, Ian, would you like to introduce yourself and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you and what it is that you're up to at the moment? Hi, I'm Ian from Sailing Trilling. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm currently having a little break from sailing around Britain and Ireland. I um, live with the after effects of a low spinal injury and some mental health issues so it's a little bit more complicated for me to do it than for some other people and uh, part of my trip is is sort of sealing a, a, a cherry on the cake for my own rehab uh, my second rehab so to speak and also to raise awareness of uh, how disabled people can benefit from sailing as a sport and to try and improve the quality of waterside infrastructure for disabled people which is not just beneficial to uh, sailors and people who actually want to be out on the water but it's beneficial to uh, the whole sort of disabled clan because lots of these facilities have nice cafes and they have nice um uh, event spaces and so on and at the moment a lot of them um, are inaccessible so if you go to the seaside very often you, you find that stuff isn't as accessible as you you might like and, and one of the pressure points that we've got is for the the water sports users who are actually paying significant amounts of money to use these facilities very often to say um hey there's there's sort of money in the purple pound so to speak there's money in disabled people's pockets why don't you actually improve the quality of your access here you don't need to do very much you've you're actually got the right the right sort of intentions you just haven't got a whole system approach to it and in consequence uh, although your restaurant might be accessible the boat yards covered in gravel so people can't actually get from the car park to the restaurant um, and it, it's just a natural thing because people don't really know what they're doing and they would like to do it right but they don't somehow manage to stitch it up um, in the right way all the time yeah I was uh, I was in Brighton during um, last summer with some girlfriends and um, as I was walking around it was very really beautiful uh, really fun excellent city but there were several times where I'd thought god if i i you couldn't do you couldn't see brighton you couldn't see the pier and stuff if you were a a wheelchair user um you know or had sort of mobility difficulties because it's it's really steep and there's lots of stairs and i know you know it's it's difficult because that is partly just the the geographical sort of landscape of brighton but you think 
you know, I was looking at some of the shops and things and thinking you could you could certainly do work here to make this a little bit easier and more accessible for people. And I think in a time where so many businesses are struggling because of, you know, a lack of, of cash flow, the more people you can get in your store, the more likely you are to kind of be making money. And that that's, I mean, it's across the board, but it's definitely... Yeah sort of I think I can see it being one of those things particularly in in water sports and water side kind of activities uh it's probably something that gets forgotten about a lot yeah and the thing that I um always it always makes me smile when when you say oh have you not got a ramp or anything to this shop or you know this area where I want to be for the afternoon and sometimes people will turn around and I'll say well we don't get many disabled people here there's no need for the ramp and I'm thinking no you don't get many disabled people here and there's no need for ramps because they can't get here if they could get here you they would probably be here every weekend um and it's like that vicious the circle of inaccessibility of well they don't come you know we don't we don't see many disabled people well no you of course you don't because your shop is crammed full and you you know isn't very accessible and and in the water sports world, I think things are starting to change for two reasons. One, the sport of big boat sailing is actually getting more expensive because mm. big boats are getting bigger. So people are um, accordingly having to find more cash if yeah. they want to engage in the sport. And it's a capital heavy sport. There's no getting away from that, like horse racing, like, like horse riding or, you know, motorsports or, or whatever the, the capital equipment is expensive and that you know that's a that's a reality so a lot of people are carrying on sailing until they're older and one of the reasons why they leave sailing is because they get dodgy knees or dodgy mm. hips and, and inside sailing what we don't say is that these people have acquired a disability as a result of age so uh, the, the sport is actually losing people it doesn't need to lose because they're not adapting their facilities to deal with age acquired mm. disability in the way that a lot of other facilities do and they're, they're also not recognizing that if they get it right for disabled people and for wheeled access say around their their site they're making it automatically better and easier for young families to come into the sport and they're making it safer for everybody else moving um, marina trolleys around the site because yeah. unlike pushing a, a supermarket trolley way where you might at most be pushing 25 kilos yeah uh, w when you load up a marina trolley you can be looking at 200 kilos and if you lose control of that down a ramp it's quite messy <laughs> mm. uh, and if it runs over someone's foot it's a trip to hospital not an ouch no that's like a, oh you've just mined my toe it's a yeah like get yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, that that reminds me of my mum worked um, in a branch of the Victorian Albert Museum when I was growing up, and um, she was always trying to push to make the exhibitions more accessible. Um, and it was uh, East London, and mm. there was a very high population of young families, children, and people with English as a second language. And my mum would be sitting there going well, why isn't there a ramp to this exhibition? Because how are mums with pushchairs supposed to get here? Why isn't this in, you know, larger, simple, like simple font and simple language so that people who have English as a second language or grandparents can read mm -hmm. it more easily? It's not mm -hmm. just about the disabled population. It's not just about yeah. us weirdos and freaks out on the fringes. <laughs> yeah. It's everybody else. And I think that's the... That's the thing that is like that I always almost makes me laugh about accessibility is that you're not we're not doing it for the disabled community. Nobody gets harmed no, no, by exactly. you making somewhere accessible. And by and by us highlighting inaccessible places and spaces, we're not we're not doing it to be mean or nasty. We're doing it to help you we're doing it to help you get better and provide more, more breadth of a service. And people always think, oh, you're criticizing me, though. You're criticizing me. And it's not, it's not that at all. We just want you to understand that, yes, to you, it might be a ramp, but it, it's not just about serving those people with a ramp or serving those people with mobility issues. It's, it serves so much more than that. And it makes everything so much easier. I've said before on the show, if I become Prime Minister, I want to ban stairs 
ban them. Like let's uh, let's just have level access everywhere, and it will make life a whole lot easier. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just and it's so sometimes it's simple little things. It doesn't has to have to cost the earth. It's just simple little changes that you can make that makes the world of difference to somebody's afternoon. Yeah. And just to sort of seal a point on, on the end of this bit is that there are two things. Firstly, when I sail into a, an anchorage or a, um, a marina, in this case, broadly or a harbour, mm. it is very effective when you go and talk to people because I'm getting off the boat with a cafe and um, an ankle, foot or faces as well, which is tends to be really visible, not because I, I'm sort of displaying them, but because I wear leggings yeah. and there's the split over the outside so unless it's really bad weather they're kind of like on show um which is not by design it's just that if i wear trousers over over the top they get holes in them mm -hmm. so i don't yeah exactly um and it it's a very much a like oh my goodness what's just happened in our our facility this is this is really interesting so it's a hook that that, that you can get your your hands into the sort of the management and go this is this is what you're doing it's great mm. can you do this it would be fantastic mm. and and the other side of that is to say that especially waterside infrastructure it's basically very expensive yeah. because um you're dealing with quayside or facilities that are heavily civil engineered um and the consequence is that stuff does need to be renewed from time to time and the capital cost of renewing something properly so that it's accessible versus renewing it so it's nice but not accessible is actually very small it's a very small difference sometimes it's not even a difference it's just a, a series of design choices yeah. mm -hmm. which create which create inclusive access and it's a no-brainer, mm -hmm. uh, especially because you think about all these water sports facilities. They've all got really extensive changing facilities. So the difference between building a really good quality, attractive changing facilities for families coming off yachts who want a shower, because that's like the most important thing ever is to be able to have a nice hot shower. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and, and including a space that you could upgrade to be a changing places toilet. Yeah. Or, or which you, if you can get a grant for it, you can actually implement as a changing places toilet. There's not actually any difference there. You're building the same square footage. You're putting in the same services. It's just there's a, there's a design intent that needs to happen. And if we can get peop more people to understand that they can make such a positive difference in their communities and actually act as a positive magnet for people to come to their facility uh, and spend money, then that's that's an added bonus and i think it's um it's interesting to hear you talk about that ian because uh actually the as as we're recording this the episode that was out most recently on the podcast was with uh scuba diver dan metcalf who uh talked about he was raising money for uh a local uh quarry diving area that he goes to i don't know what there's a there's a proper word for it. I don't know what it is. I was going to say, do you need to listen back to the episode? <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm I'm not a diver. As much as Dan is threatening to take us diving, uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know the lingo. Um, and he talked about the fact that you know this is his local quarry where he um, you know he goes to kind of practice his, his diving when he's not doing pool diving, and um, it's there's not a changing room that's accessible for him. If he wants to get out of his scuba suit, he has to do it like a Keith waterside, yeah, you know, so, just in front of people on a, on a towel on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I can threaten very much to take you sailing if you'd like with the Andrew Castle foundation. I'm sure we could sort that out there. I, I would be very interested in that. I have. I'll, I'll be tell you just turning into action that. women. I think. <laughs> so, so, so the, the foundation is, um, the organisation that helped me um, get back on the water. So my, my I, sort of I, origin... I will tell you a little bit about my... I have had a bit of a, a dabble in sailing previously. Um, have you? I'll okay. tell you a bit about it. Yeah. Um, one of the best things I ever did, actually. Okay. So um, so my, my sort of origin and entry into disability was I was uh, training to be a naval officer and... I sustained a low spinal injury. Unfortunately, at the time, it wasn't recognised that it was a um, an actual compression. It was right. sort of thought that there was just a plain disc injury. And it, one of those things that's unfortunate. Um, but the reality is that 
we expect our military to do really dangerous things. And if the training isn't realistic and dangerous to, within limits, mm -hmm. then people aren't able to respond no. in the right way. And the unfortunate reality of that is that some military personnel do get injured every year and some of them um, have to leave the service like I had to uh, eventually. Um, and the Royal Navy, I think, has very well-controlled training and as does the whole of the British Armed Forces, but sometimes things go wrong. You know, people get shot in a live fire incident or armoured fighting vehicles roll over people and they lose limbs. And that's just what happens. Um, and it's the price we pay for having properly trained trained folks. So I I was discharged and I'd, I'd actually gone to the Royal Navy before university as a, a university cadet entrant. So I had a university place uh, to read mechanical engineering and I just went to do that because I thought it's a good degree and it will allow me to sort my life out and work out what's going on. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way. And although I got my degree and it was great and it was a good degree, I then went on to do a PhD in human response to vibration, which essentially meant that I spent the best part of five years shaking people to see what happened. Right. Um, uh, broadly the answer is they don't like it um, <laughs> but we, but we do were... have a game with my cat where when he's lying quietly minding his own business you sometimes have to go up to him and just shake him and go earthquake Why? he also does not like that why not so so <laughs> so um so no, that that was that was really exciting, and and unfortunately after that I began to get serious problems with urinary tract infections, which it's one of those things that come with spinal injuries that people end up not talking about very much. Mm -hmm. But um, it doesn't really matter where you damage your spine, whether it's right at the bottom or right at the top, but it doesn't do your continence any good. No, and um, yeah, I. I, I when yeah. I went to report to my GP that I was having some sciatica problems um, at 34, he said to me, there's not a great deal we can do about it, but come back to me if you start having any incontinence problems. And I was just like, oh, oh, great. So I'm Add that back to the pain. nice pile that we're like building up here. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, um... yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's and and I think what one of the things, I mean, this is a serious, a serious point that we can make to towards health education here is that, People often think when, when a doctor says when you have any incontinence problems that that, that that means like when you leak your whole bladder over the floor in, in, in Sainsbury's. It doesn't. Mm. It very much means if you start getting funny paresthesias in your saddle area, if you start getting um, difficulty urinating, if you start um, having problems like you go to the loo and then suddenly two minutes later you feel like you need to go to the loo again. Mm. Um, the, these are symptoms that there's something dysfunctional going on in, in your urinary system and probably you should have it looked at quite seriously because uh, you don't get that much warning sometimes that you're doing long-term da damage. No. Um, in my case, I've been through a sort of wide variety of management methods from uh, an implanted neurostimulator, which which did work, but then because I was probably too active for it, I broke the electrodes which go into the the relevant part of the spine, and no one's been very keen on the idea of, of putting them back. Right. I think because it was a bit tricky putting them in in the first place yeah. through scar tissue and stuff, uh, and intermittent self catheterization, and now I'm running with a suprapubic catheter. But the reality is because I still have problems with fecal incontinence that you know yeah i'm still using incontinence pads just not as much mm -hmm. if you see what i mean so this is just one of the things that you you, you t learn to live with with spinal injuries and mm -hmm. i think a lot of people find it the most difficult bit to learn to manage and in my mm -hmm. case what happened was i was getting these serious recurrent urinary tract infections which were leading to sort of low-grade sepsis or in some cases not so low-grade sepsis and over time, my overall standard of health was just decreasing and decreasing and decreasing. My mental health was getting worse and uh, my PTSD was getting worse and I was ending up sleepwalking and very um, disorientated and having periods during the day where I didn't really know what was going on and I 
uh, was making errors sleepwalking as well, which are quite funny in, in retrospect, but weren't that funny at the time, like not realising that if I didn't have my splints on, I couldn't walk. So, oh, um, <laughs> so it was really quite dangerous. And, um, and that's why this sailing adventure is my second rehab, if you see what I mean. Yeah, because yeah, I completely had, I had get that. I had this big decline in health. And I actually ended up in a nursing home uh, for a, uh, about seven years. And it took them about oh. three years to watch and work out that the real problem here was uh, the the infections. And mm. that um, they were just knocking me so much mm. that everything else went wrong when one of those came along. Mm. And if we could get our hands sort of round that, then we might have a chance of improving things. And we did. I started thinking about what do I do next? And this was obviously during the pandemic, which is not a great time to start going looking for um, rehab options. <laughs> but I also found that there was a real paucity of options, which either the um, clinical commissioning group could refer me to, or even which I could privately purchase. And mm. much as I saw the value in some of the operations which were being promoted like therapeutic gardening and so on they didn't quite feel like they were me no. and I think it's really important that if if you're going to invest time and effort in in rehab you do something that feels like it's you whether it's learning to push a marathon wheelchair or hand cycling or sailing or or gardening right but but it's got to kind of fit with your yeah your makeup as a disabled person. And, and I, I worry sometimes that people get pushed into pipelines because the pipelines exist and people mm. go, oh, this is good for you. And um, disabled people kind of go, oh, all right then. And then they, they end up spending two years, three years of their life doing something. And then they go out at the end and they go, well, that was interesting, but I'm not sure it was the best thing ever. No, I, th I and, absolutely and, agree with that. And I think, yeah, I was going to say, I completely agree. I think one of the things that you see, unfortunately, quite a lot is, particularly for younger disabled people, is finding a space that's the right space for them. You know, yeah. I can remember working with somebody who was my age, maybe a couple of years younger than me, um, who'd been referred to a singing group as part of, of her mental health rehab. And, um, and she was the youngest person in the group by about 45 years. Mm. And you just think there is there is absolutely no way that there is not a choir for like late teens, mid 20s yeah. somewhere. But the person it's, you know, the, per the, the person in the CCG or the social worker has gone oh they want a singing group i know about this one off you yeah. go my my next door neighbor marjorie goes every thursday at four o'clock exactly yeah exactly um yeah. rather than than and and i think yeah i think absolutely encouraging people to try and do that work to to have a look at, at what else is out there mm -hmm. um because that is also one of the the things about the ccg is that you know, clinical commissioning groups have a bit more flexibility with what they can fund in terms of what is going to be suitable rehab. Yeah. And so so I started looking around um, disability sailing charities and there are, I think, three sorts of groups and two of them I wasn't interested in um, because of my personal aims. So I wanted to see if I could get back to some degree of independence on the water right. uh, where I could have either join a boat as a crew or um, get hold of some, some way of going sailing or participate in something with a certain degree of independence. I wasn't quite sure what that would look like. The, the, two, the two categories of, of, of charities, by and large, which I wasn't so interested in, but which are really important and do important work are, there are charities like the Ellen MacArthur Teenage Cancer Trust, which um, are doing things on the water where their primary aim is not about sailing. Sailing and water sports are being used as a modality to achieve other yeah. um, effects, yeah. like re-enabling um, teenagers who've had cancer to have some kind of social actualization and regain confidence and, and all the rest of it. And that's really valuable and I support it. And some of those people go on to, interestingly, to come and sail with the Andrew Castle Foundation because they want to take their sailing further. But, but some of them have a really nice experience, maybe come back for a couple of years, but then they don't necessarily go on with sailing. Um, the other organisations 
well, maybe there are, maybe there's one and a half other organisations. Then there are organisations which I would say were basically providing experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and and experience-based projects are really valuable. And again, they provide disabled people with access to um, experiences which they wouldn't otherwise yeah. ever have. So like, I think like, this is what I did. Okay. Uh, yeah. And and, and and you liked it, which is fantastic. I, I loved but... it. I'd, it was... I, I was part of a crew on a tall ship. Um, yeah, yeah. And we Do you know, I think around. I was offered this. I, di I didn't go, but I was offered the tall ship experience. Um, and I can't... We sailed around Antigua over Christmas. Yes. That's, that's never a bad gig. No, it never. Was... that is never a bad gig. Um, I think I was offered Canaries. I, I would. I would. We actually talked about us doing it again for Christmas okay. twenty. 22 myself and, and my husband I, I did it with my mum when I was 16 and although it was incredible actually at the time my mental health was very bad and I didn't necessarily get as much out of the experience as I think I would if I went back now um, but I would do I'd do it again in a heartbeat yeah so so these experience-based projects are fantastic but sometimes they don't leave people with an off-ramp where they can take up the sport yeah if if that's what they want to do yeah. and the other organization um which is growing and and the rya sponsors is called sailability and it has what feel like thousands of local claims around the the uk and sailability offers access to supported sailing for disabled people in the same way perhaps that some organizations offer um, access to disabled horse riding. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a sort of performance element of the sailability project. Unfortunately, a lot of the boats that they're using are not very high performance, and frankly, I find them disinterested. Disinteresting, no, uninteresting would be a better way of putting it, because they they've opt adopted a strategy which is a bit like wheelchair basketball, which says if you want to play wheelchair basketball, you have to use a wheelchair. Um, so the boats that they're using are broadly um, what, what we would call seated um, boats. Yeah. So people are put in boats where the, the, the helm and crew sit in seats. So mm. that's great if you've got a high neck break and it's appropriate. But if you don't have a high neck break and you are actually able to move around, it's quite limiting. Mm -hmm. And it limits the performance of the boats mm -hmm. because... Um, well, it just does. That's yeah. the reality. Some of the boat designs are not the most exciting. They're great training boats, and I really support what they do because they provide enormous access to a, an environment regularly for people who wouldn't otherwise have access to it. And, and I think people do gain some degree of independence, and some people go on to a performance strand and take it up much more seriously. But broadly, the unfortunate thing about it is that people kind of stay within a ghetto, um, and I don't like that. So... That there's a risk that, that these projects are run by sailing clubs and there's a sense that things are being done to the disabled people, not done with or even done for. Mm. So the Andrew Castle Foundation is different because it's not a training centre, so it's not going to give you an RYA qualification. That's not its objective. Its objective is to help people avoid falling into what we call the grey gap, where... Um, people come out of a training centre or an experience like the tall ships sailing and then they don't know what to do next. Yeah. Um, so the foundation exists to help people make the jump from those sort of experiences into a club or into owning a boat or to, to a standard of proficiency where uh, having adapted their disability to, to the sport, they could go and crew for uh, another racing boat or, or whatever. And we really encourage people to go to a training centre and do other proficiency courses knowing that the foundation can help you adapt what you learn to a, a method which will deal with the limitations of your disability so uh, in the time i've been working with them i've, I've seen double amputees uh, make amazing progress on the water um, i mean like teach me stuff um, <laughs> one of the best sailors i know is is blind and 50 percent deaf uh, and and it's it's genuinely humbling to be helming a boat while he is um, driving the main sheet, which is essentially the accelerator in these boats. Yeah. So you're, you've got someone on the accelerator who can't see and and can only hear sort of, and when it gets windy, not very much at no, all. Yeah, exactly. uh, and 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 the level of trust there is amazing because he knows what he's doing, and the boat will stay flat and the boat will stay fast because he just does does what 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 he's meant to do, and mm. there's no 
there's that real sense of reliance. And actually, it's very instructive for able-bodied people to go out racing and then to realise that they've just been beaten by a boat that's yeah. um, 75% disabled, <laughs> um, disabled crew. Um, and and it's, it, it does an enormous amount for, I think, for disabled people's morale uh, and sense of self-worth if you come back off the water and you've hammered a few people yeah um, absolutely in the nicest possible way yeah, yeah and, no, and then no. the i get it <laughs> and then the important bit is to say that there's there's ongoing mentoring and support and, and people go to the yacht club bar like everyone else does yeah. and we have a drink and we you know sit down we chat and you get to know people and then all sorts of opportunities open up. It is the thing that I am always, always, always saying about exercise and sport is that there is something out there for everybody and it's about finding the thing that's right for them. Yeah. Like the, the tall ships thing that I did was incredible and being like up in the rigging and stuff was some of the most empowering and exciting like things I've ever done. Like mm. there was... I, I can't remember how many people were there, but I know that there was only about three of us um, who were like, yeah, we'll go up to the, the really high bit. And I was just like, yeah, of course I'm going to fucking try it. Because um, <laughs> yeah. that, that, yeah. that's me. <laughs> and it's not, it's abs- I have no interest in doing that on a regular basis because I, you know, if I wanted to sail regularly, I'd be sailing around Leicestershire and it's just cold and wet and I don't want to do that <laughs> yeah. if it's Antigua then sign me up all year long absolutely yeah, yeah 100% yeah. Um, but I mean it, the, the difference is that if you if you came and work I mean not you but if, if if people work with a charity like the foundation then they can go and work with another charity that's sailing regularly say in the Caribbean they mm. could be a much more useful pair of hands exactly, and they could actually yeah, become yeah. part of the, the the boat crew yeah and, and be a valued member rather than yeah. someone who's being looked after. And I mean, I, I, I know that feeling of being up in the rigging because um, just before I set off around Britain and Ireland, um, I had been niggling at this problem as a disabled person with splints on, which is how do I get up my mast? Mm, uh, because yeah. sometimes you do need to go up. Yeah. And um, I found this amazing um, bunch of people who were running a climbing tower at Nadex. And I just thought, oh, maybe these people can help. And they did indeed. Uh, and they set me up with a caving instructor um, who actually was from Joint Services um, Training Centre. That's where he worked mainly. Uh, and he, in an afternoon, he, he set me up with a whole load of kit, which basically allows me to climb the mast. And it's a, it's a really big insurance policy for me, having that kit on board, mm-hmm. because it means that I can solve problems um, that, that I wouldn't otherwise solve. And the boat itself is a relatively small old-fashioned uh sailing boat and and people would say she's small down below and she's tight and she's not what you want if you want to have cocktails in the marina but for me she's ideal because i don't get thrown around so i went on the training course um on, on one of these big modern um flat boats and uh, when i was helming i was just being thrown from one side of the cockpit to the other because mm. um there's no there's no sort of support Whereas in Trilene, I can wedge myself somewhere pretty much all the yeah, time. Yeah, so you don't and, like and wobble about. I, I don't. I don't get wobbled around. Mm. Um, and I bought her um, really because I recognised that she needed quite a lot of refit, and I knew that it would be good for my my hands and my my head to get back to doing something, yeah. having been broadly only doing things like photography and, and, and stuff on computers and not actually being sort of doing practical stuff out in the world and there is something very fulfilling about scraping the deck so that all the you know crappy cover comes off and then you can put something beautiful down um, and, and there's a real sense of fulfillment when you when you do that kind of refit work and and the whole idea of sailing around Britain and Ireland was a bit much like it was like what can I do to have a bit of a present? And it was quite bold because I didn't really know whether I liked solo sailing. And I certainly didn't really know whether I could do multi-day solo passages. Mm. So I I was aware that I could do it with like long day sails if I had to, like lots of little long day sails. But it turns out that A, I really do like solo sailing and um, which is good having bought a boat that's basically ideal for solo sailing. Do you ever yeah, get lonely, was... Ian? Do you ever get lonely? No, the boat's there. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, no, no, I know that sounds really funny, but you get this kind of symbiosis between the boat and the sea and you, mm. and there's only really one thing that you can worry about, which is making sure that the boat's got everything she needs mm -hmm. and that you've got everything you need. And it's very, very basic and elemental. You can't worry about anything. And there's this delicious point where the 3G signal f fades away and suddenly no one can get hold of you. It's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I, I do have satellite messenger. So Just I mean, if it's really... Yeah. If it's really important, I can send a text to someone, and and you know we can we can be in touch. Yeah. But but it's fantastic because there's that sense that suddenly there's no noise, and um, I think I suspect that if you were out for forty nine days or fifty six days or something across across the Pacific, you'd probably um, have some pretty odd conversations with yourself and the moon. Yeah, but, I can imagine. Um, but but in coastal waters, there's only really two things you can do or three things you can do. First is you can sleep in tiny, tiny, tiny elements of sleep, like half an hour, a quarter of an hour, mm -hmm. and uh, try and bank sleep as much as you can. And secondly, you can eat things. Um, <laughs> and, and thirdly, you can look after the boat and make sure she's going as fast as she, she can, which is basically about fast walking speed. Yeah. I mean, if you've, if you've got a four mile an hour wheel, wheelchair, that's about as fast as my, wheel, as my boat goes. Okay. Uh, eight, mile, eight mile an hour wheelchair, that's a really, really good day if we're doing seven okay. miles Yeah. So I, but, but I think it sounds like hell. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not my idea of. I can. I can see listening to you, Ian. I can see how there's a real sense of calm and independence and uh, sort of peaceful solidarity for you. Mm. Um, and I'm all for a bit of peaceful solidarity. Yeah, I, I can um, do. I can do peaceful so solidarity for maybe couple of hours and then i'm like Does i could fancy I, a chat? I, could, <laughs> I could sit at home and read my book and be left quietly to myself for a couple of days i think that right. would be i could manage that it's the it's the having to be on the the not be it doesn't it doesn't sound particularly physically restful it sounds like it's it's quite physically demanding work oh, it is yeah and that that would be that would be the bit that mm. I'd struggle with, I think. And and the general just you're on a boat, it's probably not as warm as it is, you know, in bed under the duvet at home. Yeah, but but I mean, uh, you know, that's not the only sort of sailing that there is. And actually, the mm. foundation are basically sailing keelboats in the sailing, and the longest that you're out for really is three hours. And mm -hmm. um, then you you know you come back and you you have a nice meal and it's all very chill yeah um and, and that's different because that's crude racing and there's lots of people around yeah um the last time yeah, so the last time i was on a, like a big boat like the kind of like the the kind of boats we're talking about here is uh i went on holiday to tenerife and we went dolphin watching on a boat and i really i had a lovely time it was lovely because a it was sunny be halfway there they dropped anchor and you could either jump out on the side or they gave you meatballs and then i fell asleep on the way home on the way back um so i had a lovely time um but yeah i can imagine that if i like if it's like in the middle of a storm somewhere and i'm tired my body's tired i would probably have a bit of a sob if i'm honest i think yeah, i mean i mean i suspect but i, I mean suspect i sob about happen. anything to be fair like that's not unusual yeah. for me yeah i i think um i think though it's it's interesting that you know listening to you talk about it ian even when when the weather is good and things are calm and you are sort of you know focusing on yourself and your boat um it sounds like that's been a really good uh space for you in terms of your mental health yeah it has it's been very integrating um i think i think there are some of us who probably need our sort of regular inoculation of wild places yeah. um i think there are some people who are very much city folk and there are some people who, who just aren't and i i've always needed wild places and before my injury i'd get them i'd get that by going sailing or by going climbing or, or mountain walking or, or whatever and what i've learned is that i can't get to the wild places on land not really no. um i mean power wheelchair and stuff yeah okay it's great i can get a little way on foot but it's really not not comfortable and it's actually pretty 
dangerous, frankly, because mm. you know your splint gives up or you fall over or, or whatever. It's not not ideal. But the boat is a sort of little little floating capsule which will take you into the wild places, whether that's on the coast or just because you're offshore in the mm. wild. And there are parts of it which I think everyone recognises as beautiful, like when it's a deep, clear night and you're 40, 50 miles off the coast, so there's just no light pollution at all. Mm. You, you're, you know, you can't see the land, it's behind the curve and it's dark land anyway. And you look up and you just realise that you're, you're sailing under the Milky Way and it's a very profound experience. As is really just being offshore on the west of these islands where you look left and you think, next land is Newfoundland mm. um, and that I can understand the temptation that people have just to turn left um, <laughs> and, and let, let, let the boat go yeah. um, and that's a it's a really you know I can see why people do it I'm not sure it's something I want to do uh, and in any case it's very difficult to do as a disabled person not because the sailing's tricky but because any sort of um, responsible health insurance about repatriation and stuff is just another yeah. complete nightmare but we won't get into that you should get some sort of insurance person on to explain <laughs> why it's such a nightmare because my, my experience is they won't insure you for anything that is actually likely to happen mm. and um that's kind of boring um, <laughs> <laughs> where's your favorite place that you've sailed to or around ian so so this trip I think um, there, there are two I'd pick up. One was um, I'd actually been really ill in Isla. Um, I got a really nasty urinary tract infection and I'd had all these exciting uh, ideas of exploring Isla, which is an island where it feels like there are more distilleries than people. Right. And um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the southernmost of the Hebrides, just, just north of Glasgow, basically. I was going to say and... they do like their whiskey up there. Yeah, 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 and they're, they're good at making it too. Mm. And I'd had all these exciting ideas of taking the boat for a sort of little poodle round because I'd got round Ireland and therefore I could relax a little bit and I'd got some spare time. And then I got this really nasty bug, so um, I kind of ended up lying shivering in the cabin for a couple of days and then going to the community hospital, who were fabulous. I and mean, Doctors on the edge of places are gen generally willing to practice frontier medicine and they're just really cool people. Yeah. Um, and, and they were really helpful. So then I looked at the weather and I thought, I've got to get out of here. There's a gale coming and it's going to blow straight into the um, into the anchorage. So I had to flee up the Sound of Jura um, going north towards uh, Oban and Fort William mm -hmm. uh, in order to get to somewhere called Crinan, uh, Loch Crinan, which is a, a little sort of hook in on the side of Argyle, um, which allows you to get some shelter from, from the wind. So I went up in the dark and... Because it wasn't, it wasn't navigationally very difficult. As the dawn came up, I didn't really have anything to do except for enjoy this this dawn coming up as it was over the land of Argyle, and um, and then find my way into into find a, a mooring. And I got there before the gale did, so that's that's all good. Mm. Um, and that was that was just gorgeous dawn coming up over over the mountains and the sea is. And by then it was a flat sea. It was just really, really special. And the other place, I suppose, was I sailed around the Fastnet, the Fastnet Rock, which is like the southernmost point of Ireland, really. Uh, you have to go around it in order to get kind of around the corner. And I was heading up towards Bantry Bay, and th that sail was made a bit more emotionally keyed, I think, because that was where the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was announced as I came around the rock. Um, so I, I, I just got this flash of cell signal and suddenly my phone went ping, 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 yeah. like everyone else's did. Uh, and you look and you go, okay, it's happened. And then you fall out of network signal again. So there's no sort of ongoing coverage. Mm. It's just this, this you've new got, flash. You've like got the bit of information and off yeah, you go. Yeah, and off you go. And, and I came... I came up again in the dawn out of the darkness into the mountains of Bantry Bay, which is just this last, this vast inlet coming in off the sea. And I crossed paths with um, this big yacht coming in from the west in the dawn. Mm. And uh, she'd been picking, she'd been doing the classic thing, which is picking up the lighthouses uh, to allow her to make a safe landfall 
Uh, she called me on the radio and I said, you know, hi, how are you doing? And they, they went, yeah, we're 17 days out of Newfoundland. Um, and um, it had been really bad weather, actually, so they'd been a bit chucked around. And I think they were very glad to have have a harbour inside. Yeah, okay. And I was going into, I was sort of going at 90 degrees and going north. Um, and I, I found my way into this, this gorgeous inlet, really, um, and this gorgeous little marina, um, which were run by these lovely people who were were really actually quite disability aware. In fact, it, even though they had this sort of eighty berth marina on a tiny island, um, right on the west of Ireland, they wanted to do the right thing, and they'd made some real improvements, like altering the um, the main bridge between the mainland and, and their pontoons, mm-hmm. so that it was a mu- much wider and it had nice high friction surface on it and stuff. Mm. And so they they were trying to to get their their, their facility improved. And they were really interested in what they could do to the pontoons and how they could improve them and stuff. And there were lots of things that weren't that weren't great, um, but but there was that that sense that they were willing yeah. and they understood. Say, they, often, they understood. Yeah, yeah. It's often the willingness yeah. in it. That, yeah. You know, I was talking about this at work the other day. You know, sometimes you go to places and the access is terrible, um, but the willingness of the people to help you out is often the thing yeah. that will help you, you know, will will swing you as to, oh, well, I'll perhaps go back, you know, for a shorter visit or whatever, because their willingness to be so helpful is yeah, and is I, really appreciated. I, mean, I, I, I realised that I probably needed a bit more spare diesel and <laughs> I was, you know, asking them how to get the ferry to the, the, the sort of fishing port on the other side of the, the sound to go and get some big jerry cans. And they went, oh, don't worry, we'll have a look in the shed. And they came back with... A thirty-liter can of um, an old thirty-liter IBC can, um, and said, "Well, we were going to check this one out. Say, would you like <laughs> it?" And um, that did me really well all the way to um, to Inverness. It sounds incredible. The, the kind of views that you experience and things. I think I d- we don't quite appreciate what no. yeah, I mean, you, you see. can see. You can see some of them on the Instagram, and some of yeah, them definitely. On, um, there's some nice video on the on the um, on the YouTube thing as well, um, which is all at Sailing Trilly, two L's and two E's. Uh, so please do do go and enjoy. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. link all of that in your uh, episode notes. And it's well, really so interesting listening to you talk there, Ian, because it I didn't it didn't really occur to me until you were talking about it then. But that obviously, some of these you know marinas that you're coming into are just like little you know two person owned you know middle of nowhere just happened to have a spot on the coast type yeah and the... and it's it's one of those things that you sort of it that gives it, thinking back to what you're talking about kind of trying to make water side facilities more accessible is you know we have this expectation of of big companies and things like that and and for me i sort of went i mean it's boats the bloody enormous is going to be you know the people dealing with it the infrastructure behind it like there's no excuse for not not getting stuff sorted out and accessibility sorting out but you know if it's like you know jill and bernie they just like happen to have a cottage near the sea and went oh you know what we should do we should let people keep their boats yeah we've got, we've got a bit of we've got a bit of space they can more yeah. walk there kind of yeah, thing. so so there's there's a difference between what what you're describing is and it's kind of the difference between going to um a large chain hotel mm. um who, who i noticed still can't get their shit together no. um, <laughs> um uh we, we won't we won't get into that but should be able to right well, you think yes. there's no bloody and, excuse yeah. yeah yeah there is no okay. there is and, no bloody and, excuse thank you very much and realizing that that actually you want to go and stay in this really remote place and the options are a b&b or a b&b and mm, yeah. um yes i am going to have to go up the stairs on my bum Right, yeah. that's just the the reality. But I'm I'm willing to do that because this is a lovely couple. Right, they're making lovely breakfast for us. Yeah. That the place is lovely. They can't do um, enough to to help make things work. Mm-hmm. But it's not ever going to be 100% accessible for a large indoor outdoor power chair. It's no. just not going to work. No. So so yeah, there is that. And and I have a different attitude when I'm dealing with. Um, the, the sort of mum and 
pop, so to use the American expression, mm. um, operator, or indeed a, a harbour which is primarily commercial and dealing with fishing boats. Mm-hmm. They've got a really different attitude to um, going into a large franchised marina or a large marina operator who owns 24, um, 500 berth mm. um, marinas. I mean, I actually try and avoid those places because mm. they're just A, really expensive, and B, they're... Um, full of a lot of baits that, that tend not to go anywhere, which is very, very disappointing <laughs> yeah. um, if you're actually interested in sailing. Um, so so in some ways you seek out the places that are a bit more random because they're actually a lot more characterful and a lot more interesting. I think that's a motto for life though, isn't it? <laughs> seek out the more random because it makes life interesting, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's it, I think that, you know... And, and it goes back to what we were saying before, people showing willing to, you know, wanting to improve and help and things like that goes a long, long way in your experience of going away somewhere a bit more remote and things like that. I mean, I always say, you know, I'm never, never boring at a dinner party because I've always got a story to tell about the time I got stuck somewhere or, you know, somebody had to come to my rescue. And it just, it just, it just makes things a little bit more exciting occasionally doesn't it I mean don't get me wrong there are times where I'm like, all I want to do is have a rest please like I just want no yeah. dramas but it yeah, does yeah. it makes it more far more far more uh rich See, experience. I, I, I find it I I would just I'd live in fear like if I was in your position Ian you know taking on the huge challenge of sailing solo independent around you know the UK and Ireland and uh knowing that i was potentially gonna rock up somewhere and be like oh no wait i can't get in here because of my access needs and i've been on a boat for (laughs) six days and haven't spoken to anybody and i like that i could i couldn't deal with the the stress of that the anxiety would make me not want to go out on the water in the first place well i think i think there are two things to say there um firstly the good news is that the boat I think anyone who's disabled and who, who goes sailing, I've not not just sailing, racing, day racing, mm. but longer distance sailing. You, you have to get the boat set up to do the thing that you need, and it has to be like a capsule that is supporting you. Mm. And so I know that I can survive on the boat very comfortably. So if I come into a harbour and I can't get ashore then I know that actually the boat will do everything I need. Mm. And and you have to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or if you come to an anchorage and you realise that going ashore isn't a good idea because the boat isn't actually very firmly attached to the bottom and the weather's rubbish, so you really need to stay aboard, then you, you have to be okay with that. So So it's almost like you need to make sure that everything you need is is there. So a bit like the, the, um, the fact that your boat is also your plan B as well. It's your home. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, what I did was before I left, I made sure that I had 90 days of medical supplies mm-hmm. and 90 days of food um, on board so that actually I had everything that I might possibly need. I didn't need to, to replenish in those respects. Um, and that was a really important choice because it removed a lot of that fear mm-hmm. and it allowed me to make choices which were safe in terms of the weather and so on, rather than thinking, I really need to get into Dartmouth because um, I need to go to the pharmacy mm. uh, to, to pick up more of X or Y. Mm. I think that's like just planning ahead, isn't it, really? And I think the disabled people are used to to doing that in their own head just generally really i think it's really reflective of your as you described earlier your relationship with your boat that you know you 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 really are kind of a partnership with your boat your boat provides and that you have to have kind of that that trust in it um yeah yeah and when i got sorry yeah when i got her through the canal to inverness to lay her up for the winter it was just really sad because it was like the boat's actually working really well and and what you what, what there was a big part of me which was like oh let's just keep going mm-hmm. i mean I, I couldn't go around the north of shetland in the winter that's that's just 
bonkers. I mean, it, it's doable, but it's probably going to be extremely unpleasant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but there was that sense: why am I taking something apart that really works? Mm-hmm. Um, and coming back to my, you know, to, to to being in houses and stuff, I actually find it a lot more difficult, and that's a really strange experience. No, I, you see, I don't think that is strange at all. I think. I think what you've got with your boat is you've 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 got into a routine and you you know that yeah I can do that no problem I can do it with my eyes shut it's a bit like when I go away on on a holiday somewhere I I want to go away on a holiday for for the rest and the change of scenery but actually I get to about day three in and I'm like can I come home now because I miss my bed that sits me up and I miss my toilet that keeps me clean and you know you get into a routine with your own things around you and if that just so happens that your own things are on your your boat do you know what I mean so you just get used to it and I you know I I I went round like 15th of August to end of October pretty much and without getting any musculoskeletal injuries mm. so um then I come away and within a month I'm like oh my back really hurts <laughs> I've done something to my neck my seating posture's rubbish I think I maybe need to do something about this and it's like yeah and it's not great on the boat but but I've got somewhere where where my wheelchair frame straps in yeah. um and I, I made the decision to fork out to a company called Theraposture who makes specialist beds and stuff and had made specialist mattress that I sleep on, like I slept on in the care home. Mm-hmm. I, I said to them, right, I want you to make me some bunk cushions. And they kind of did double take. But when I sent them the templates and said, look, just make me more of this, right, in these shapes. Yeah. I know they're a bit random. Don't worry. <laughs> I know it's what I'm just, doing. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. And, they, and so I've got I've got bunk cushions, which are actually, you know, properly pressure managed surfaces. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about um, what I'm sitting on no. and, 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 and sleeping on. Yeah, it, it, it was a it was a pricey intervention. And I'm really fortunate that I've been sorting money away and I've been able to do that. And, and this has been an option that I've been able to fund mm. coming back to the, the comment about the CCG. I mean, I don't think, I don't think the CCG even wrote that. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I, well, that wasn't what I was going to get at. But, but what I was trying to say is you said, you know, the CCGs have options to fund things which are a bit more creative than, um, than, than other services do. And I think that unfortunately they're, definition of creative is still very restricted um and and i i worry about that because i think that there are people in the disabled community who um with the right experiences could rule the world quite literally Mm -hmm. and very often um people are being forced to settle with um really poor quality uh, experiences and really poor quality rehab mm. or are ending up stuck in facilities where um, their lives are basically being wasted mm-hmm. by the state and at great expense when in fact um, these people are all beautiful right they're all beautiful humans whole and entire in themselves and they have something enormously valuable to offer to society it's just like our services haven't got the um they don't have the screwdriver to undo the screw head they're, they're hitting too it with a hammer restrictive. sorry they're, they're too restrictive yeah restrictive. yeah yeah and, and and they're not interested in in interesting approaches and and people end up in the wrong sort of settings because the right sort of settings can't manage one aspect of their behavior instead of going well this person really needs complex physical care and the fact that they've got challenging behaviour means we need to change the complex physical care setting, not shove them into an assessment and treatment unit in a seclusion room mm-hmm. and then just forget about the fact that primarily they've got physical care needs. Like, how does that help anyone? It just makes their health worse and uh, it also is psychological abuse. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's really really disappointing, but there's that complete lack of integration and that complete lack of recognition of humanity. And when you co- come across care environments where people are actually recognised as humans, whatever's happened to them, magical things happen. Mm-hmm. 
It's that is abs- what beautiful words. Sorry about that rant. No, no, it's but beautiful. It's beautiful. And I completely get what you are trying to say. I spent a lot of time in my career working with um, young people, not necessarily in the role I'm in now, but before before this role that I've got, working with young people and trying to facilitate that whole, you know, you can this is possible you can you know instilling that confidence in them so I completely understand where you're coming from and it proper got me <laughs> proper got me so uh thank you that was lovely that's all right um yeah, and... I'm quite proud of myself that I'm not crying <laughs> Quick, move, <laughs> on, move on before I start blasting <laughs> no that that was I think that was really moving Ian and I think um if we don't hear of unfortunately very often from the perspective of the disabled person in care no. um no. so often the perspectives are from funders and from staff and and even you know friends and family um and actually it's it's nice to hear you know somebody who who is uh is eloquent as as mm. you are sort of being able to to give a bit of a voice to what that that to that story i think so thank you, you. you said in about <laughs> sort of 20 seconds there what I wanted to say in the whole four years in my previous job so thank you <laughs> basically what I wanted to say all this time <laughs> uh no no oh no Ian that's been it's been really interesting talking to you it's been so interesting to hear about the boat and and um I definitely feel as though my perception of sailing has been challenged a little bit and uh and I'm I'm seeing it as um I think perhaps more peaceful than than perhaps the isolating horror show that I thought it was <laughs> The cold, wet, isolating horror show. Where are you off to next, Ian? So um, I'm kind of pinging around the country over the winter mm. um, rather more than I plan to, but that's sometimes what happens. I've got some work to do on the boat and I've got some bits that um, need a service because boats... But owning a boat is basically the the art of doing um, maintenance in inappropriate locations, sometimes <laughs> exotic, sometimes not. Um, and uh, then in the spring, so probably as early as the end of February, I'll, I'll, I'll be throwing the boat back in, yeah. um, which is always a bit nerve wracking. Um, and then I'll work her up. Uh, and then as soon as the weather's half decent, I'll head west through the Caledonian Canal again to where I, I stopped the sort of solo part of my trip. Yeah. Depending on the weather, I might drop down into the Irish Sea um, to do a few things down there and to visit a few places. And then uh, I'll be starting a long trek north up the west coast of Scotland, up the outside of everything. And then round the top of um, the wonderfully named Muckle Flugger on the <laughs> north of Shetland, which is the northern, most northerly point of the the United Kingdom. Amazing. Uh, and, and, and it's a place that demands quite a lot of respect because Muckle Flugger is further north than the Cape of Good Hope is south. Wow. So you're, you're actually going up to, to the sort of subarctic. And, wow. Um, you're only six degrees away from the Arctic Circle at the north of Shetland. So it, it's quite it's quite far north. It's not the high north, it's not the Arctic, but but it is, is but a it's place as close as you fancy at the moment. <laughs> you have to be quite careful. And then, then once you're around Michael Fluggy, you kind of turn right um, and um, head down the the coast of east the east coast of England and into the Salent again, uh, where um, We'll see what happens next. Mm. I'm not sure what will happen next, but right. probably something. Alice, I think we've found the first candidate for our uh, <laughs> label podcast T-shirt <laughs> that he can wear as he's sailing around to anybody. <laughs> advertising that, that would be lovely. Yeah, that would be lovely. Um, I mean, as you can see, Trilene, Trilene T-shirts are available. Amazing. Uh, I just need, need um, to get the merch shop set up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ian, that it's... Uh, this episode is going to be coming out sort of springtime 23 so it would be yeah, lovely fine. to perhaps touch base with you again um around that time so that you can maybe update us on your progress tell us where you yeah. are um, um, and all, how things are going up- yeah absolutely all the updates um are on sailing 
Org, two L's, two E's. Trillene's Manx Gallic, it means the Pleiades, and it's the name of a boat which my uh, grandparents built in the Isle of Man in the 1930s for subsistence fishing. So I'm very grateful to oh, my mum for permission to reuse the name and, and have a second Trillene. Oh. Um, and there, there are all sorts of other sort of social things that sailing Trillene in various locations uh, if people would like to enjoy them. Fabulous. Thank you so great, much, Sophia. Ian. It's Thank you for great. spending the afternoon okay. with us. Yeah. That's all right. It's a great pleasure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, uh, gang. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media at Labeled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved.